Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Office Hours, where we sit down with the people shaping the world and answer your most pressing questions about leadership, career, and life. I'm Mike Steib, and if you've ever wondered what it takes to get all the way to CEO, today's conversation's for you. As the leader of Spencer Stewart's CEO recruiting practice, Our guest today has likely placed more CEOs in their roles than anyone else in the world. In addition, he is also the author of seven life-changing books on career growth and leadership, including The Career Playbook and the international bestseller, You're in Charge, Now What? If your cell phone blows up and Jim Citrin is on the line, you take the call. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Such a pleasure. So, Jim, when I was... 26 and I'm struggling with my career, right. I read a phenomenal book and it was your book, The Five Patterns of an Extraordinary Career. And it literally changed the direction of my work and where I ended up. And now I mean, you, your firm have put me in some of the most interesting situations, board, CEO, et cetera. It's really come full circle. And it is for me a real amazing pleasure to be here with you. Oh, that's so great, Mike. We're going to have a lot of fun. As you know, we got a bunch of questions from the audience. Folks wanted to hear about you on how to get to CEO, how to make their first couple of uh, career choices, how to shape their careers, and, and there's a bunch of questions in here about how to interview too, which Definitely. nobody knows better than you. So if it's all right, we'll, um, let's go to the first one. It's from Mateo in San Diego, and he said, I find the hardest thing about planning my career is knowing what I want to do. How did you guys know the right direction for you early in your career? And what advice do you have for someone who's struggling to see that path? So, Jim? I got this great job at Morgan Stanley as a financial analyst uh, on Wall Street. It was the early 80s. And I was okay at it, but I wasn't great at it. And I did well enough to be fine. But I was able to get into Harvard Business School, which was amazing. I had a framework for what I wanted to do. I was 26. And I'll be really honest, Mike, I I wanted to work in a highly prestigious organization, have a so prestige was important to me. And you've noted that that can be important in career paths is having that early blue chip uh, experience. I'm a huge believer in going blue chip early and then 
have building off of that. And I'll be honest, I wanted to make a lot of money as well. So lifestyle, money, and prestige were my three kind of things. And then I interviewed across the board and I was good at interviewing. So I got lots of different opportunities and pretty advanced uh, offers. I went to a company at the time was the one of the most valuable media companies in the world. It was many of the uh, listeners might not even remember it, but you certainly will. Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest had just gone public. It was a $6 billion company, the largest magazine company mm-hmm. in the world. I had a, my year review and I had a boss who said, Jim, he said, you had an okay year. You know, it wasn't great. He said, let me ask you a question. What is the skill on the back of which you want to build your career? It's a really interesting question. That's a good way to think about it. And I was 33 and without even hesitating, I said, relationships. So long story short, uh, at the age of the tender age of 34, I went into Spencer Stewart and it's been an amazing 25 plus years. And it, and it sounds there. like before that you were focused on the sort of external items like pres- prestige and money and location and totally. not that those things aren't important, yeah. but as soon as you turned your attention to the the, the, the the internal motivator, the thing that you personally enjoyed doing. Yes. I had a very similar experience. I, I was at McKinsey early in my career as well. Right. About 18 months into it, our receptionist, Linda, said to me, Mike, you don't look happy. And I said, I don't know, Linda, this job's like a... And she said, well, Mike, you know, it's not a dress rehearsal. It's your life. You should probably quit and go do something else. <laughs> oh she was God. right. And I got my, you know, I got my head on what I, I mean, what I personally realized is I just, I really enjoyed the doing. I enjoyed the operating. Interesting. And the, you know, the advice you give in consulting, it can be a lot of fun to get to that point, but it felt so unsatisfying. I felt yeah. like I kept eating the, the uh, appetizer and not the entree. So it was, see, it was see, really helpful. It was, was great advice. It's great. And that's why you become a multiple time successful operating CEO and you're awesome at it. I would have been a lousy CEO because what I loved about McKinsey was I loved the advisory work. I loved the teamwork. I loved the communications. I loved the global network of it. I loved the people. And so it, what, I, what I learned and what I've learned, and I've now done research and proven this, and we'll talk about this in the five patterns in the career playbook, is that I, those criteria that really are important, number one is people. You can have the worst career yeah. You could have the worst job description. You can actually make lousy money. You can have a really brutal lifestyle. But if you're truly working with people who you love, you respect, they're your friends, you admire, you're going to be pretty happy. And that's why if you look back on people who've been in the military or in the police force or the fire department, they love it because they're like bond. There's a bond there. So people is, is number one. And then the second thing is what I learned. Again, you were an operator, so your strengths are going to run companies. Playing to your strengths is a really, so back to the original question of our listener, at, in the age of, and in, in your 20s and your 30s, try and be really self-aware and get advice from your friends, your family, your colleagues. What are you distinctive at? I was great at interviewing. I was great at communicating. I was great at writing. I'm actually good at selling and persuading things. So if you're in a role that plays to those strengths, you're going to be successful. And if you can do that with people who you like, then the financial success will inevitably follow. And the lifestyle, if you can shape it a little bit, especially in our now more of a hybrid world, but that will also fall into place as well. That's fantastic. You know, the next question, uh, it it dovetails off of this nicely. Uh, Grace says, I'm early in my career, but I've always performed at a high level and I have ambitions to be a senior business leader. 
What can I be doing now to set myself up for success in the long term? So you talked a bit about some of your early experiences, and you've seen a lot of people's trajectory. What are those? What do people do? How do they get there? That's a brilliant question. So, and we've actually researched this. And in the book, The Five Patterns of Extraordinary Careers, we did, we interviewed over a thousand senior leaders and we surveyed scores of thousands. And we were looking for the differentiators. And uh, we, that's where those, those differentiators between the good and the great are the five patterns. There are two things in those five patterns that are at the heart of the question. Number one is you have to do the basic job well. It sounds trite, but you have to you have to do whatever your job is. You have to do it well. You have to be really responsible. You, and then to do it with a good attitude, especially as a, someone yes. in their 20s, it's true no matter what age. Uh, but doing it with a positive attitude, a can-do attitude, be responsive to your colleagues, to if you have clients or customers, to your clients yeah. or customers, be responsive and have an attitude of how can I help? So, and just do high quality work. That's essentially the ticket to the dance. Yep. But that's not the real answer to the question of how you differentiate and make it to that corner office. It's really about differentiating yourself based on doing more than what's asked. But here's the distinction. Back in the research for the five patterns, we, and we, we did an analysis of the kind of the top quartile of executives and most of them they they the the survey and the research was to what extent do you meet your objectives and basically on a self-reported basis everybody says of course i meet my objectives and then the people who are the top quartile they overall exceeded their objectives by about 20, 25%. So if they were in sales, they'd over-deliver their mm -hmm. quota by mm -hmm. 25%. If they were in operations, they would deliver better costs by 20%. If they were in finance, whatever, cost of borrowing. Makes sense. But the top five percentile actually only met their objectives. But before we figured out, we it was like, wait a second, there's a mistake in the data because these are the demonstrated top right. five percentile, but they just meet their objectives. When we did the follow-up, we did something like 300 follow-up interviews to get at the heart of this question. And they said, no, just doing 20% more, that's not the thing. What, 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 I, what we were able to do is free up some capacity, doing a great job in the basics, and then thinking, what would add value to my job or to my team or to my department or to my company, and then do that. And this is where you can be very much of a proactive person. Your boss isn't going to really know what else you can do. You know your job better than anybody. Do the basics. Do it really well with a great attitude. Free up time and say, huh, I can do this. And whether it's a side project, you can, it can go back to being an intern and, sit and volunteer to do the summer outing. Or you can be a CFO and all the way at the top and free up time and serve on an external corporate board. Or you can be a division head working on your division and say, you know what? I actually think there's, a, there's an opportunity to do an enterprise-wide AI uh, strategy. I'd like to do that. Yes. The principle applies from the beginning of your career to the end. So it's the differentiation. And here's the thing. 
do a great job on the basics, free up time to do something different that meets two tests, that adds value to the organization, yeah. and that you bring others along with him so you're not cons considered just a grandstander. You talked before you went and got an MBA. I get that question a lot. Um, early in your career, is it is it a good investment of time? What's your framework for that? And what do you see in other successful leaders? It, it's changing a lot, Mike. Back when I went to business school, uh, I, I don't have the numbers on the top of my head, but back then, the Fortune 500 CEOs, there were a lot of Harvard yeah. MBAs in there. It was there. like the Supreme Court. Yeah, it was. Um, today, it's not nearly so much. A lot of founders, uh, not only do they not recommend MBAs, a lot of them you know, don't even recommend going yeah, to college. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a risky strategy. I'm a big personal believer in education. I think education is a huge opportunity both to develop skills and to develop relationships. Mm -hmm. Relationships will be something that carries you through your career. And it's probably debatable if it raises the ceiling, but it definitely raises the floor. <laughs> it's a great, right? That's a great way to say it. So in general, I'm supportive of it, but with, with particularly with the question of MBAs, it's a, if you're in that top 20 schools where the network are going to really be a part of your professional future, then it could be worth the opportunity cost of coming out full time and the cost of doing that. But if it's not, if you're not in the top, top group, then, and you really want the skills, there are lots of different opportunities to get the skills today. And it goes back to this, uh, this 80, 20 rule, just freeing up some capacity, you know, right. getting advanced education and whether it's on a course basis through companies like Coursera, or if it's online education through degree programs, um, that's that's the way I would think about it. Nail the day job, do the side job, bring other people along with you, and you don't necessarily have to take the two years off. You can Correct. you can learn through the side hustle. Yeah. Uh, we, I'll just weave in part of the question. Uh, Annika in Nashville had um, hit me up on uh, LinkedIn and and asked, "Is like, is it better to be a generalist or a specialist, and how long do you need to spend in role?" So that's highly related to this question. Do you have a, do you have yeah. a perspective? In the end, and I'll I'll answer Mike by going backwards. To me, in most cases, generalists lead big organizations, big teams, and solve big problems and have bigger impact. But to get to be that high impact generalist, you have to be known you've for something. You've got to do something first. You've got to do something. So my, my, uh, my ideal recommended pattern is start a little generalist. You have to start with something, whether it's sales, finance, technology, engineering, something physical, it doesn't matter. Start and do it well. But in your 20s, try and get a lot of different experiences. See what you like, see what you're good at, see where you're thriving. And then by, think of it in, in kind of decades. So in your 20s, you're trying out lots of different things. By the end of the 20s, you want to, I say this in the career playbook, you want to essentially declare your major. In my case, I was yeah. going to be a human capital or recruiter. You want to be a finance person, a technology and engineer, whatever it is, and then do a great job in that. But through this, this principle of finding other ways, then you add, add value in outside ways and you become more of a generalist. And by the way, this leads to a really, really important question, which is how do you, you can become such a specialist and so valuable to your organization that how do you actually move? So I think there was, uh, there might be other questions about, about that. 
Let me go to the next one. We're starting to get there. Um, John David in Tuscaloosa, Alabama said, Every interesting job posting I see requires me to have experience in that job already. How am I supposed to get a job that requires me to have already had the job? And why would I want to do a job I've already done? So you actually teed this up quite nicely. Well, that's such a great question. And it is, it's something, it's a conundrum. Uh, and I call it the permission paradox. Permission paradox. I remember right? remember that? Yeah. You can't get the job without the experience, but you can't get the experience without the job. There you go. So you're, you know, but you don't want to be defeatist. So how do you actually overcome that permission paradox? And there are strategies to do that. But by the way, just be encouraged, everybody. It's not only at your entry level or the manager level. It's all the way to the CEO suite. You know, like you're on public company boards, you know, it's like boards say, oh, we're recruiting for a CEO. We want someone who's been a CEO before right. because we don't want to take the risk. We want a board director to make sure they have public company board experience. Exactly. exactly. You always so see that. So, so that permission paradox is there throughout your entire career. Yeah. So un, it, the understanding it and being able to overcome it is actually a really valuable lifelong skill. So the way to overcome that is... Well, there are a few ways. Number one is to break down whatever the next job is into its component parts. Mm -hmm. And let's say it's a, uh, a manager where you will have had to, the, the listing on LinkedIn says you will have had to manage five to 10 people, a budget of XYZ. You will have had to drive revenue and manage costs or something like that. And let's say you haven't been a manager yet. So you're breaking into your first manager job. You take each of those things and you try and find other ways to get that experience. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you haven't been a manager in your current job, but let's say you're the coach of a youth soccer team or you're doing the budget for the school uh, fundraising drive or something like that. You, you just, you address it and you say, well, I know the listing uh, is asking for all these skills. I haven't done that all in my job, but I've done it in these five different places. And that way you kind of build it up and then you break, you, you give the opportunity for them to take a chance on you because you've said, okay, you understand what their need is, but you found a creative way to address that. I remember when I, I, I wanted to get to management and I hadn't been a manager and it's a very zero to one move as you suggested. And uh, I pitched my team on us getting some MBA interns because okay. I knew nobody would want to manage them. So once we got the interns, I got the interns. And so for the summer, you know, at this point, I'd probably read 20 books on leadership and these right. two poor MBA interns came in and I was like, sit down, you're about to be managed. Like you wouldn't <laughs> believe, but then you, you get a you'd small piece of it. You get totally. a jumping off point. Yes. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, 
Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. We go next to... Darius in Washington. I have a big interview coming up. What mistakes do people make in interviews and what are the keys to impressing someone? Oh, so the interview is with a tech company. So what should I wear? Hey, and by the way, I went to my Google interviews, whatever, how many, however many years ago in a suit from NBC. And I'll I'll never forget how weird I felt walking around the Google campus in a suit and tie. So we can help you. Darius. Totally. Darius, great question. And as I said at the early part, interviewing is sort of my my hobby and passion. How many thousands of interviews have you done? I, I estimated that I've done now approaching 15,000 interviews. <laughs> okay. I, I, wrote, I wrote an article on LinkedIn. I think it was my number one uh, read article. I think 400,000 reads. Uh, and the title of the article was Interviewing to Live, Living to Interview. Okay. <laughs> and, and I've been in so many interviews. And as I said earlier, Mike, so folks, buckle up. This is the number one interviewer in the world. So what, what do we need to know? First of all, the interviewer, they're just, they're trying to solve a problem. Desperately. Desperately. Just have like an open you, job. Exactly. And so they're looking to do, if you recognize you can be the solution to their problem, then it changes the power dynamic. It changes your mentality. You're not nervous. You're trying to understand yeah. what it is. So a few tips uh, on that. Number one is try and really, if you can, research the person that you're going to be interviewing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, now in this wide information world that we all live in, you might not know, but that's that's possible. You know, to ask someone in advance mm-hmm. to be set up, who am I interviewing with? Um, number two, here's some, there's been tons of research on interviewing. And this is something to take advantage of when you're the interviewee, but something to be cautious of when you're 
doing the interviewing. Most people make a decision in their first five minutes, even in their first three oh, minutes. Sure. And the, psycholog the psychological research shows that people make a decision in the first three to five minutes, and then they spend the next 25 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever it's scheduled, looking for data to support the decision exactly. that they've already made. We've talked about Daniel Kahneman and the, Daniel totally, Kahneman yeah. in the show. All of yeah. his research shows yes. the way that Think. we make these instinctual emotional decisions. Yeah. And by the way, sometimes those decisions are not bad. And But as a interviewer, I train people on this all the time. You really have to resist that and be aware of it and look for real situational situa um, situational data, uh, behavioral data, cultural data, but most people don't do that. Most people right. will in the first five minutes, which means that you really need to have your opening answer. You need to, when you, if it's in person or on Zoom, how you introduce yourself, how you sit down, how you shake a hand, what you're wearing is essential because they're going to have a huge impression in the first 30 seconds. So the opening is key. So you, wh whatever they whatever they ask, so Mike, tell me about yourself or, you know, why are you interested in this? You want to have, you want to practice in front of a mirror. You want your two-minute opening statement, which basically quickly tells your story in like two minutes, maybe three right. minutes, who you are, where you came from, why you're interested in this job and why you might be great for this job. Rehearse that and have that, no matter what they ask, that's the answer to the very first question. It's right. like, oh, how's the weather? Great. You know, and it's like, oh, great to see you today. Well, let me tell you why I'm really excited to be here today, Mike. Mm -hmm. And you do, you do that. So having a two or three minute rehearsed opening statement of who you are and basically a little bit of a narrative, not just the, the other thing is, so now you've had a good opening and now it's five minutes in and now they're asking you about your experience. And like you apply these these principles, like the permission paradox, mm -hmm. saying, oh, Mike, you haven't been a manager before. And said, well, yes, I know that's what, so you have that. And you also want to talk very humbly about what's worked well and what hasn't worked well. You don't want to be arrogant and you really want to be come across as self-reflective. Let me tell you the environments in which I've really thrived and why I think this could be a great fit. I appreciate that. As a hiring manager, when I ask someone, you know, what are your weaknesses? What are your, and they tell me, you know, I try too hard. I care too much. I mean, the interview just is over. Totally. It is over. Yeah. And you, you, you got to be constantly learning and yeah. reflecting on what you've done wrong and what you've learned from it. Exactly. That, having that humility show in an interview is so important. Okay, most first interviews, uh, like yours, Darius, probably coming up, is probably going to be a half an hour. Again, they're going to make their decision very quickly. But in the last five or seven minutes, they say, okay, well, let me turn it to you. What questions do you have for me? And there's a real temptation, especially early, early in your career. You want to be polite and respectful. That's great. But you say, no, 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 I, I don't want to take more time. And then they leave, and that's a huge opportunity missed. You would be shocked at how many hiring managers basically say, oh, I really like her for this job. Why? Because she asked the best questions. Okay, so how do you actually ask the best questions? Mm -hmm. Here's the way to ask the best. This is so simple and so powerful and so doable for anybody about to do an interview. Whatever company you're going to interview, go into Google and type the company, say you're going to interview at Intuit. You put in Intuit CEO Q&A, 
And then Sasan Ghadarzi, the CEO of Intuit, will be shown on CNBC or whatever, and Reuters, whatever company. And the, you'll have professional journalists who have spent with producers <laughs> preparing really good questions about right. the company, the culture. The, the, you basically take those same questions and then you put them in your own voice. Then you get, the, wow, they've done their homework. That's terrific advice. I've always been astounded. I've interviewed executives right. who've asked me, you know, well, what are the company's priorities? Oh and I've been God. like, we're a public company. I tell everybody every 90 days. Like, yeah. <laughs> a Crazy. little bit of research. But so if you, if you went on, you know, XO CEO Q&A, you've they've given yeah, how is. many interviews? And, and then you pick three or five. But the other thing about, so prepare in writing, have them written down or typed up, have them there because when you get to that question, what questions do you have for me? You want to look down at your notes and it's okay, even if you're in person, have a little notebook or have, a, have a, yeah, an iPad or something that you're prepared. That's right. Uh, thank you. Jamal in Charlotte says, Hey, I'm a fintech recruiter in Charlotte. What's your advice for finding the right candidates and getting them interested? So another recruiter wants to know from the best, how do I do it? Most people make decisions on a very emotional basis and they want, you want to know what's really important to them. And then again, it's, this is a perfect example of it's the same situation that on the other side of the coin you know, what are they trying to accomplish and why is this company or this role a great fit to their, to their priorities? As a general thing, I think that uh, we've done a lot of research on this, Mike, at Spencer Stewart, the role of purpose and mission has become one of the most important differentiators sure. for people looking for great, great roles. And so I would go to, here are our values, here's our purpose, here's our mission, and here's how this role fits into that. So give them the big thing and then how this fits into that, and then talk about the culture. I think culture sells. I, we do board work for some of the biggest companies in the world. We do CEO work for the biggest companies in the world. And talking about where our culture is and what is celebrated and where that needs to change or evolve, culture really sells as well. And then, of course, there are things pragmatically right now about flexibility, job mobility, and, and where it's leading and all that. But I would really default to purpose and mission and, and how this role fits into that. I've also, when, when I'm hiring someone, I spend a lot of time with them. I've actually, and maybe at least the last 15 years, I haven't made an offer that somebody hasn't, hasn't accepted because by the time we get there, right. we really know each other. Nice. And so my, you know, my suggestion to, the, to Jamal, who's the recruiter here, is have your business partners really involved in the process and a lot. And I'm always, I'm always taken aback by how insufficient amount of time people spend on what I think are the most important uh, actions they'll take in the year, which is yeah. assembling their team. So, uh, Jamal, it's also, it's time and, and, and conveying, as Jim said, that energy around the mission and the culture and the people and the, and, and the prize that you're after. People really feed on that. So a lot of our questions have been about these sort of early and mid-career moves where we have a question here from Brian in Columbus who says, I'm 50 years old. I'm proud of the work that I've done, but my career has plateaued in the last few years. And now a lot of my contemporaries are getting squeezed out when there's a cost cut at the company. Is it too late for me to reaccelerate my career? or to make a pivot? Brian, absolutely not. If uh, hopefully uh, you're, uh, again, I'm, I'm even older than you and I feel 
very fortunate to be in good health and high energy. And I think being ambitious, curious, high energy, and and really motivated well into the second half of hopefully of a very long life is the way to go. And I actually think this is a huge both issue and opportunity for our economy as everybody as age, uh, uh, lifespans uh, extend. Um, so number one is if, you, if you're healthy and fit and energetic, then absolutely, it's not at all too early. Um, but how you move mid-career is very different than early career. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's a whole other topic, 10 or 20 years, Brian, from, from now, when you will have been doing something again, and then you have to think about what tip most people refer to as retirement. But, and I actually don't believe in that word. I believe in moving from phase to phase to phase. There's an amazing book. I wish I'd written it uh, called um, uh, From Strength, Strength to Strength. Strength. Did you ever I read ju- that? I just read it. It's brilliant. I'm too young for it. Yeah, but you're too young for it. But it's yeah. really good. Yeah. It's, a, it's about how to think of the sort of last 20 or 30 years of your, of your professional life and how you want to deploy yourself. So check that out. But the point is that you, you move from at, at, say, age 50 or in your 50s, you want to build on the experiences you've had and then try and find new ways to apply that experience. Um, let me tell you the, the, the story, uh, just a great example of this. My, my brother-in-law, um, we're here at iHeart. He was a lifelong uh, senior executive in, in the music industry and music promotion. And um, he was brilliant at it and would go to radio stations around the world, many iHeart stations, and uh, get uh, labels, acts on mm-hmm. air. Mm-hmm. That job, that role, and the role of promotion has changed dramatically. He went into live entertainment. But what is he doing now? He's got a private aviation company. It's like, how did you get from one to the other? It's a 10-year process. What he did is when he was doing music promotion, oftentimes he had to go bring the the uh, the acts from from point A to point, point B. A to point B around right. on these tours and stuff. And so a lot of times the labels would have to he'd have to arrange charters, sometimes propeller things, but go from place to place to place. And he developed a lot of expertise in that. And during COVID, when uh, when a lot of the uh, commercial travel didn't work so well, he had all these clients or these relationships where he was doing representing them and he has a music management company, but he was solving problems. And then all of a sudden other people we're saying like, oh, I know you, you, you send, you know, so-and-so on these things. Can you help us? You know, oh, our family needs to go to Florida or whatever. He created this, uh, this great, uh, great charter aviation company called Right Lane Aviation. It's amazing. And he just, it's, so anyway, there's ways to apply the experience that you've done in one thing to other ways. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles 
ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Lee in New York City says I'm pretty introverted and not much of a networker How do I make sure I know the right recruiters And that I'm on their radar So that my career opportunities present themselves Most jobs are not gotten through recruiting They're gotten through referrals And actually they're not even gotten through referrals of your friends they're really, most of them are referrals of people who have referred you. So they're second, second level mm-hmm. uh, referrals. Um, I'm going to come back to the answer, but I'm going to give a very important uh, suggestion. When you're looking for a job, you want to help make it easy for other people to help you. And everyone will say, oh, how can I help? You need to have a very crisp answer to what you're interested in and think of it as planting a seed with anyone you're talking to. Mike, I'm actually interested in a human capital position in a tech company. That's it. And Mike will be out at a party and someone will say, hey, do you know someone who could help me on our talent team? It's like, oh, I just talked to. I just heard. I just met. That's right. So have that and share that snippet very broadly and think of that as kind of a seed that's planted and it could go across. You use the word uh, uh, networking. I'm in the recruiting business. I'm in the relationship business. I've got all this stuff. Personally, I'm an introvert and I I hate networking. I think I think of networking. Oh, man, I'd as, rather eat a lanyard than put it on and walk exactly, around a conference. Exactly, <laughs> you're it's not like, alone oh, in this. Up. People hate it, it's a, and by the people hate being networked too. So, so get rid of the even that my the word oh networking. I find that really cringy, and think of it as relationship building. Mm-hmm. And in a relationship. There's a quid and a pro, quid pro quo, and there's how can I help? If you come up into conversations with how can I help, all of a sudden, it's not a networky thing. And when they ask you how can you help, then uh, you can say, well, I'm really interested in being human capital, human and, capital technology and technology and that. Um, and then there's another way uh, to think about this 
challenge and it's hard. I mean, trust me, I know look, looking for jobs is really hard and really stressful and the time frame that you're doing it, it's never fast enough and it's uncertain and there's self-esteem issues that come up. Um, use the process as a learning journey and you can, you can now where anyone can be a publisher, one tactic is to do an article even if it's self-published on Medium or on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. you can talk to people and say, I'm doing an article on the, on the best practices in human capital, uh, talent acquisition in technology. Can I get 10 minutes of you to chat about that? You do that to get you 15 access. people, you get your access and people will be much more interested if you're doing that article than, oh, I'd like to have a courtesy interview right. about human capital. You can do that with any topic. And that's another uh, tactic. Uh, I'd echo that. I wrote, a, I wrote an article for first round review and the title was something like don't network, build your meaningful connections. And it was very much that, it, you know, all the good things that have come to me through a quote unquote network in my career have been someone else I just like and probably have done something for. And then they thought of me rather yeah. than the other way around. I will make one note specific to recruiters is eventually they'll find you and reach out that don't just say no, say no, but here are two or three people you might like. I always like to leave a recruiter with other folks because yeah. what have you done? Like you may have helped somebody who you think highly of land a job. You've helped a recruiter solve the problem they're trying to solve. And, and then you'll get the call next time because even if you're not the guy, like at least, you know, people know you're yeah, on the flow and good, you can help. And a good source. And plug be, your, plug be, yourself yeah, into the absolutely. ecosystem. Absolutely. That's a great, great point, Mike. This has been a ton of fun. And really insightful. And for Thank me, you. like I've been, this is a conversation I've been looking forward to for twenty years. So oh, very special. Thank I you for love, doing I can it. Talk about this stuff all day. Well, my friends, uh, we covered a lot of ground today from sort of how to interview and how to shape your career and how to make uh, how to make these important choices throughout. But if I were to take one observation from this uh, really insightful and inspiring conversation with Jim, you heard from someone who has broken down into its component parts this, this ambiguous and overwhelming thing that is your career and your career plan. And I want to encourage everyone to do the same thing. Don't just think about your next job. Don't just think about your next promotion. But as, as Jim advised, think about what are those things that I enjoy? What are those requirements that I have in my career? What are those internalities, those things that I'm really good at that I want to build my career on? And I'll remind you, I'm here for you and this podcast is here for you to help. You can always call in your questions or you can DM me on LinkedIn or Instagram. The number, if you want to send in a text or a voicemail is 213-419-0596. You know, you can find me online at Mike Stibe. We, uh, we put this podcast together to help people have an extraordinary impact in their work. And if there's anything we can do to help you, just give us a shout. Uh, I want to thank Jim for coming in. This was amazing. And of course, I want to thank Jen, Kara, Meg, Jada, Matt, and the whole team at Blue Duck Media for putting this all together. Dylan, Sasha Gay, Nathan, and Christine at iHeart. I want to thank Bahid in the studio, put it all together. And Ben and the rest of the team at William Morris Endeavor for all their support. Office Hours is a production of Blue Duck Media and distributed by iHeart Radio. I will see you next week, gang. In the meantime, stay on your grind. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. 
Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.